We're actually in a series uh, with an unspectacular title. I like to title my series. I have a little bit of a ADD, OCD element to me, and I need guardrails, and I'm kind of, uh, I'm helped by a common thread that runs throughout sermons, and this series is called How God Works With You, and we've been really centering so much of these messages on the children of Israel as they approach the promised land, crossing over Jordan, how God uh, subdues the land before them, and this morning, uh, another, another message in this series, it's, it's called Where God's Blessing Falls. That's, that's the title of today's message. And let me just do something that I know is just going to get incredible feedback. How many of you want to be blessed? Yes, sir. Okay. The rest of you sign up for counseling. Dustin will meet you tomorrow. Um, we all want to be blessed. It's, it's a silly question. Sure, who wouldn't rather be blessed? I mean, the alternative is terrible. It's to be cursed. I don't even want to be left alone by God. I, I want to be blessed. I, I want everything that he has for me as a believer I want this local assembly to walk in everything that he has destined for us. And you as an individual believer, one of my heartbeats as a pastor is that I might be able to influence you over a course of time and be able to see God actualize in your life what he's prepared for you. I love to see people that I have the privilege of shepherding stepping into some things and good things, blessings, and, and the next thing, and the, the best things that the Lord has. And so we want that. There is an element, however, that we don't talk about often enough. God's blessing falls in one particular area. And because of that, anybody that gets in this area as a believer is going to be blessed, and blessed more than we think. But the question is, are we willing to abide in this important area that God pours out his blessing? It is where his blessing falls. And so you'll pick up on it as I read from Deuteronomy 28 this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter number 28, verse number 1, God says through Moses, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way. I like this. Oh, this is good. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb 
and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So based on what we've read, we can see clearly that the blessing of the Lord falls in the place of obedience. It's not popular. Automatically, some of you that have more of a theological bent are saying, <clears throat> Preacher, Jesus Christ fulfilled all obedience on our behalf, paid for it. He is our substitute. He is our sacrifice. We are given perfect standing with the Father through Jesus. Our salvation is not based on our obedience. None of us have obeyed. If we've offended in one point of the law, then we're guilty of breaking it all. You're not about to preach obedience to us, are you? My answer is I agree with you 100% that we are not saved by our obedience, but I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about being blessed. And if your idea of being blessed is limited to you getting your salvation so you go to heaven when you die, then I want to invite you to grow this morning. Because this life is not about us getting to heaven when we die. This life is about us glorifying God while we live. And through that relationship that Jesus has indeed purchased for us with his blood, and when we bowed to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and we repented of our sin and we confessed him as Lord and we welcomed him to be the master of our lives, clearly all of the sin was removed. A perfect standing with God the Father was gained. And we will see glory and him in glory one day. But my question this morning is what, what about until then? Don't you want to be blessed, or is that the only blessing that God has for us via our relationship with him? Is it simply that we drudge our way through life, hope to make a, a few highlight real moments in this life, but really all of faith is put on hold until we get to heaven? Well, there is a Hebrew word for that, baloney. <laughs> it's just not true. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, eternal life, he said, and that you might have it more abundantly. That means here, now, God wants to bless you. Write it down. God wants to bless you, but his blessings are not cast about arbitrarily. His blessing falls in a very particular place that you can take with you. It's not geographical. It is positional. And wherever we go, we can be in the place where God's blessing falls. So let's look at it this morning uh, in the text that I've just shared with you. 
And let's start with something that's going to sound a little harsh, but that's okay. Uh, you're big boys, you're big girls, and we need to hear this in a day of indulgence in the church, in a day of lukewarmness in the church, in a day of me, me, me in the church. We need to get reacquainted with some truths that kind of jar us awake and remind us that this is not ultimately about us. And so God is calling us to deeper levels of obedience. And here is the expectation of your allegiance. Just let the text speak. God is speaking to Israel and he says this, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God, here's the promise, will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. He's talking to Israel there. And all these blessings shall come upon you. And I love this. The blessings are going to come upon you. They're going to overtake you, God says to Israel, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So here is the postulation. God says, I'm generous, I'm good, I'm benevolent, I have an infinite amount of resources with which to bless my children with. I'm going to bless, but my blessing is not going to be pearls before swine. It's not going to be random. It's not going to be like this new generation where everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. No first place, no second place, no third place, no fourth place, no last place. Everybody gets a trophy. I think God laughs at that. That is not his heart. Salvation is free, but rewards are earned, every single one of them. Every single reward in the Bible is attached to a human response to a divine opportunity. And so when we're looking at blessing, I will say this, God does make the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike, but I'm going to tell you, sometimes the unjust get so much kind of rain that it ends up drowning them, whereas the just get rain that produces fruit. And the reality is that not in the moment are we to measure, but in the entire spectrum, the scope. Amy said it already, you're not at the end of your story yet. You haven't finished yet. I haven't finished yet. Last decade's blessings were not meant to be relied upon today. God, who is gracious and benevolent, says, I have so much more, and I'm not, I'm not a miser. I'm not holding back. I'm not greedy. I'm not stingy. I don't clutch. I'm an open-handed God, but I pour it out in the place of obedience, which is here, and you're living over there. So what is he doing? He's saying, come here. Come here. Let me give you four types of obedience that I've witnessed in my own life and I've witnessed in the lives of others. The first is sporadic obedience. Sporadic obedience. This is when we view obedience as an option. It's almost incidental obedience. We're not being careful to do all the things that the Lord has called us to do. We're not being intentional about it, but we don't mind being obedient. We're sporadically obedient. The second one is this. It's very closely related to the first one. Conditional obedience. And this is rampant. This is when we obey God as long as we can clearly see a positive outcome for ourselves. Right? I knew it was going to be quiet this morning. (laughs) 
God was giving you all the gentle stuff during worship because he was going to be firm with you during the sermon this morning. This is when we say, wow, I know this is what God expects from me and my allegiance to him and his covenant in my life. I, I know this is what he's calling me to do. I know it because I read it in the Bible or I know it because I'm discerning it inwardly as the Holy Spirit brings truth to bear in my life. I know this is what God's saying, but that's going to cost me. I don't think so. And it's conditional. Then we have this wonderful thing, and this is what religion propagates, and uh, I hope you checked your religion at the door because we, we do not, we don't fertilize that here. We spray Roundup on religion here because it, it produces paranoid obedience. What is that? This is obedience motivated by dread of what God might do if we do not obey. And that's religion. So in other words, outwardly, you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you're not doing it because you trust God or you love God or you want to honor God. You're doing it because you're actually afraid of God. And you're afraid of the big bad judge in the sky who if you, you know, you, you step out of line. <laughs> and so you're not obeying because you want to honor him. You're obeying him because you're paranoid. And then the fourth one is the one that Moses is communicating here on behalf of the Lord. And that's faithful obedience. He said, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, what does that mean? This is obedience rooted in trust of God's nature and motivated by a desire to please him. By the way, let me go ahead and just say this. None of us have been perfectly obedient. And you won't the remainder of your days. I'm not going to be the guy who stands up and tells you that you can't be. I'm just telling you that history plays out that we haven't been. And, you know, it's highly likely that we're going to sin between now and death. The reality, though, is, is that God looks for the trajectory of our life to be faithful obedience towards him. And when we disobey, we will know it as Christians, right? Right? The Holy Spirit is, is there to tell you that was wrong. That was sin. That was wicked. That was beneath the dignity of Jesus. That was not of faith. And the Holy Spirit doesn't do that to condemn you. He does, he does that to correct you. Correction is not rejection. He corrects you. And then because we are faithfully obedient, when we're corrected, we do what? We repent. And when we confess and forsake our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin or, or to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so let's not give all the cop-outs because I, I, I know these objections can pop in your head. Well, nobody's perfect. Well, that's right. Jesus was, he lives in you, and he never gives you the excuse that the fact that he did it all means you don't have to do anything. It's just not Bible. And I appreciate all of my... <clears throat> Calvinist friends out there that want to just so lean on grace as if that there is no expectation on man. And I have seen this a dozen times in people's lives where they get so wrapped up into Reformed theology that they have a deadness in their obedience or an indifference to obedience because after all, God's got us and we're going to get to heaven and it doesn't matter what I do. And that kind of stuff just breeds an, an, an unholy, if not illogical, view of what it means to obey God. Listen, ultimately, we want to obey him because it pleases him. That's really the bottom line. We don't want to obey him to bargain with him. We don't want to obey him to barter. We don't want to obey him because we think that's the key to get his omnipotent arm twisted behind his back. And now we've got God where we want him. Ugh. We want to obey him because we love him, and it really, really brings him pleasure when we obey him. 
because it shows that we love him and we trust his character and we know that what he's asking us to do is for his glory and his good. So let's go into verses three through six. What happens when we live an obedient life? Again, you're not hearing me say perfect. None of us qualified. We're already, you, it's the first thing you have to admit to become a Christian. You have to admit, I've failed. And so we're not telling you you have to be perfect, but we are telling you that your heart has to be inclined intentionally and persistently under the Lord. It means you're, you're being careful about your relationship with the Lord. You're being intentional about your relationship with the Lord. You're not a casual believer. You may be a believer at rest, but you're not casual. And so when we get down to verses 3 through 6, let's talk about the transformation of your atmosphere. And this is what begins to happen in the life of a believer when he or she decides, I am from this moment forward increasing my commitment to obedience. This is what God said to Israel. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Blessed or blessed, it doesn't matter. It means the same thing. I, I, I'm going to resist the tendency to fixate on all that he said you would be blessed in. And I just want you to see over and over again what he's saying. He says, you're going to be blessed. 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 You right there? Blessed. You over there? Blessed. You? Blessed. Absolutely. I'll bless you here. I'll bless you there. Wherever you It's a transformation of your atmosphere. You see, look, look, I mean, we, we have to go sometimes into some difficult, awkward places. Because, and, and it's so hard, it would have been easy for Israel, ancient Israel, to know whether or not they were operating in the blessing of God because they didn't have anything else. We have industry, we have technology, we have convenience at you know, an optimum level. We're a sophisticated, industrialized society. We're, uh, we're, we're so technologically advanced. And I say this as an unbeliever might say it, not as a believer would say it. Well, we, we don't need God. I'm not saying that as me. I'm just saying that's what the world... Why do we need God? We can make our food. We, we can make babies in a lab. We can, we can get to the moon. I still don't understand why they can put a, a, a machine with a camera on Mars, but they cannot fill in the bald spot on the back of my head. That makes no sense to me. It's like, come on, where are the smart people? They're building stuff to go to Mars, and they don't care about my bald spot. But the, the point is this, is we've got all this stuff that we can do. And, and, and listen, even as believers, we can work hard and make money and we can work harder the next month and make bonuses, and we can make harder the ne- work harder the next year and get promotions, and we can, we can cultivate what appears to be blessing. We can manufacture a lot of stuff, and, and then in a, in a quiet moment we can say, wow, I'm blessed. And it's very easy for all of us to say this, and, and to God be the glory. But is it? Is it God's blessing? Not if it is occurring in your life when you're not being obedient. It's just you being really good at what you do. Imagine what would happen if God's blessing was added to that. Imagine what would happen if God started saying, you're super skilled, you're really savvy, 
You're educated, child, you're actually brilliant compared to some of my other children. You're, 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 you're gifted, you're good at what you do. And I love you so much that I just want to tell you, I really want to bless you. And you're looking around and you're like, Lord, I live in a gated community. Lord, I've got a 2017 eight-cylinder and you fill in the blank. Lord, I, I go on luxury vacations. Lord, I've got this in my retirement plan. God, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And the Lord says, yeah, no, I know, I, I would really love to bless you. And you're saying, I, I, I thought you had. And in essence, if we're not careful, we can assume the blessing of God in the absence of terrible things happening. Now, Israel didn't have that luxury because they didn't have anything to lean on. They're an agrarian culture. I mean, they're moving into a land. They got to plant all the crops. They got to, they got to, you can plant all the crops in the world. Let's just say you happen to have seed. You can work the ground immaculately. You can dig the furrows. You can line up the seeds perfectly. You can cover them up. You can have all of the livestock manure to fertilize that whole pasture that you wanted to. But there's one thing that you don't have control over. What is it? Rain. And so what God's telling them is this. I'll bless you in the city. I'll bless you in the field. I'll bless your grain. That was everything to them. If they didn't have crops, and especially as they're moving into uh, the Canaanite territory, and the primary deity of Canaanite, uh, the Canaanites was, was Baal. We, we say Baal down here in the south, but Baal, who was the, the god of fertility. And what God is saying is, I'm going to move you into the land. It's very important to me that all these Canaanites out there, who I'm going to allow you to whoop up on, I want them to see while you're destroying them and their god can't protect them, that I am blessing your crops because that god is not the god of the fertility of crops or the womb or the lifestyle. I'm the God who gives increase and my children, I want to bless you. And so one of the things that we have to remember is this. God doesn't want to just bless you for you. God wants you to bless you. God wants to bless you for his namesake. And we, I think, as we want to grow deeper in the Lord, we can't just do what every unbelieving American does go get an education, work real hard, 50, 60 hours a week, make sure you're, you're doing whatever it takes, climbing the corporate ladder. Do all, and then when we get to the top of the corporate ladder, we say, Jesus did it. That's not what God's asking us to do. He's asking us to consecrate our lives in deeper and deeper levels of obedience. And he's actually asking all of us to slow down and take a diagnostic of our life and say, was this me generating all of this stuff? Which, by the way, the stuff's not bad. There's nothing wrong with the stuff. But the stuff is bad if, if it's not genuine, if it's not, it's not really coming from the Lord. It's just coming from you in the absence of you cultivating intimacy and obedience with the Lord. And so what we want to do is we don't want to, you know, I'm not telling you go and sell all your stuff and take a vow of poverty. I, that's, I, I don't find anywhere in Scripture where that's a blanket calling on all of the church. But what I am saying is in the midst of your abundance and prosperity, ask yourself the question, am I still faithful to God? Am I growing in obedience? Are there areas? And by this time in the message, already the Holy Spirit's convicting individuals of different areas where where they know they're not obedient. The Lord's saying, I'm, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to say that my blessing doesn't fall there because you're not being obedient there. So go, go further with them. Let me give you the statement, still talking about the transformation of your atmosphere. You'll be blessed, you'll be blessed, you'll be blessed, you'll be blessed. Now, who's saying that, by the way, in this passage? The, the source is God. Moses is communicating, but it's God. God's telling Israel, and by the way, let's not get 
hyper-theological here. You say, well, Jeff, that was to Israel. That's to, not to us. Oh, okay. So we, have, we should expect less under the new covenant than they did under the old. We should set ourselves up to be disappointed in comparison to Old Testament Israel. No. The heart of God hasn't changed. He's not up there saying, yeah, I used to bless Israel, but not y'all. No, my friends, we're the bride of Jesus Christ. We are, we, I mean, listen, we are, <laughs> we're bought. He gave us Jesus. If we wonder whether or not he really loves us, he gave us his son. And the Bible, Paul wrote to the Romans and he said this, um, he who spared not his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? He gave us his best first. So we don't have to scratch our head and wonder, does anything good come after that? So, thank you. We got like nine people saying, go for it, man. I'm going. I don't know if y'all are coming, but I'm going. Here we go. So let me give you a statement. Faithful obedience to God in all things positions us to live in the place where he pours out his blessing and favor. His outpouring of blessing results in a distinct change in our life's atmosphere. Now, I, I will say this at risk, and, and this, is, this is a little thin ice here, but I'm going to make a statement. I believe that you can be justified before God, saved, if you want to say it that way. You can be born again and live a life of intermittent obedience, disobedience. I do. I, b I believe it, it proves out. I do not believe that you can be born again, justified, saved, and never live obediently. I believe that's a false profession of faith because you're not a new creation. I believe you can be a new creation who's struggling to obey, but I do not believe you can be a new creation who never obeys. And I will back that up. You say, Jeff, you got any verses on that? Read the entire book of 1 John. 1 John chapter number 2, he who says he knows him but keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I mean, that's an in-your-face verse. I mean, matter of fact, in the early 1990s, and I was one of those who got, uh, made a profession of faith as a child. I got dunked as a teenager at a Christian camp. That was my baptism. They told me after my baptism, all my sins were washed away, and I was perfect, and I thought, great deal. I'll never remember the next day after my baptism, we were out in the softball field at the same camp, and somebody hit a ball over my head, and I said a word that wasn't Christian. And I remember the guy, the son of the guy who baptized me. And here was my answer. Well, you can't be perfect forever. That was my flippant attitude about obeying. And the reason why is because I wasn't saved. And I lived the next 10 years believing because I got dunked in the baptistry and I prayed the prayer that I was going to go to heaven when I die. But meanwhile, I was living like hell, literally. And so the point being is that when in the early 1990s, when I was convinced I was saved because I prayed this prayer, even though I was a drunk, even though I was doing drugs, even though I was living a terrible lifestyle, th this, this bivocational youth pastor named Scott, where I was working, just kept saying, well, what does the Bible say? I mean, he had me pegged as a false Christian as soon as I walked in. I mean, you talk about God's sovereignty. Here, I'm going to throw a bone to my Calvinist friends who got mad at me earlier. God, sovereign, God sovereignly placed me in a corrupt company, a place a, in a department where everybody was an unbeliever. Everybody, party animals. And God put me right next to a dude 13 hours a day, side by side, on a place about as big as this platform. And all we did was stare at computer screens, and we only had to work if something went wrong on the, uh, showed us on the computer. And so we would read... And what book was he reading? His Bible, out loud, to me, for two years. 
13 hours a day. That's God's sovereignty. But I remember him taking me to 1 John. He said, Jeff, I, I know you say you were saved as a child. Would you read this? And I'd read 1 John chapter 2. He goes, no, no, read it out loud. <laughs> so I'd read that chapter, and the Word of God was indicting me. Why? Because I had this illusion that I was a Christian because I prayed a religious prayer, did a religious act, but there was never new life in me. Therefore, I lived a life of perpetual disobedience and indifference to God, and that's not a new creation. That's a counterfeit. And so when we're thinking about this, this changing of the atmosphere, I, I actually want my atmosphere to be changed in dramatic ways now from what it was yesterday. I, I'm not satisfied. Are you? If, if, a, if our God is a God of infinite blessing and infinite benevolence and infinite generosity and infinite kindness, and he really is for you, he doesn't th just theologically love you. He actually likes you. You're his kid. He doesn't like everything we do, but he actually likes you. He made you. He understands your weaknesses. He understands your dreams. He understands every sense of, of uh, oppression and resistance and opposition that's come against you. I mean, he is constantly moving toward you, not to, not to, not to just kind of envelop you and, and bring you to an end, but to bring you into the fullness of his blessing. But here's the thing, this amazing, sovereign, infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who has to ask permission of nobody has set up things to where a lot of the blessing that he wants to give will never find you if you don't cooperate. He actually leaves a lot of it up to you. And one of the main things is this issue of obeying him. I, I can tell you this. You don't have to live in some dread fear of, okay, I, th I think I'm obeying, but what if I'm not? What if I'm not obeying in things that I don't know about? And because I'm not obeying things I don't know about, and I, I don't know about them, and then but I'm going to miss a blessing of God, and, and, and maybe I don't know what I'm not doing, and I am doing some things I don't know I should be doing, and, and you get in this this insanity. Listen, the Holy Spirit is there to convict you. You don't have to wake up and wonder, oh no, maybe I'm doing something as a Christian that I don't know if it's right or wrong. The Holy Spirit will convict you immediately. If anything, what you might have to consider is, was he convicting you time and time and time again? You've so hardened your heart by not, uh, not responding that you're not hearing anymore. That might be an issue, but I can tell you this, for the Christian whose heart is sensitive to the Lord, she's going to hear the places where she's disobedient. And I love the fact that I wake up in the morning, and when I pray, you know, I ask the Lord, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me. You know, I'll go through Psalms 51 every now and then, just, Lord, try me, purge me, do all of those things. But I don't, I don't sit there and wait for hours saying, am I sinning? Maybe he didn't hear me. Is there any sin in my life? Maybe he's speaking Spanish today. I pecado en mi vida hoy día. <laughs> Listen, I'm, all the Spanish speaking people are going, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. My, my point is this. Listen, he's going to convict you immediately. You don't have to wait for five hours in his prayer. Well, he may say something. He's going to tell you. He is far more interested in you coming into alignment with him than you are. 
And so he's going to bring you in line. And if you don't hear any conviction, just remember this. Stay open. Listen for the voice of the Lord. But don't stand there for five hours saying, I bet he's got something. He's just taking his time with it. No, go about your day and rejoice that you're not living. What I'm trying to do here is, is counteract fear and dread and paranoid obedience. I mean, it's the Lord. The Lord has obligated himself to convict you of sin. And he does do it. He did not take that hat off at any time in the last 2,000 years of church history. And so we've just got to, just got to keep our, our antenna up and listen. So let me get down to verses 7 through 12, okay? Because this is where I want to wrap up today. Okay. What should I anticipate from my alignment? He says, I'm going to be blessed, 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 I'm going to be blessed. God says he really wants to bless, and if I'll obey, he's going to bless. What does that look like? What should you anticipate? And this is where I'm literally going to tell you, you should look for things like this in your life. There will be ebbs and flows, there will be crests, there will be, at times, uh, plateaus. We will all go through dry times. I'm not saying God is a glorified vending machine. He's not a, a glorified ATM card with a universal pin code. He, he's not a, he's not a, a bellhop. He, he's our father. And so he blesses us with what is best for us, but the beauty is, is the obedient heart wants him more than he or she wants the blessing. And so when you get to that point where you just really want him, the blessings are there. He promises, but they're not as important as, the, as you would think that they, they would be because you've got him. You know, it's like a, a flashlight doesn't work in the sun. You know why? Because there's a greater light. And so when you're standing in the presence of God, the, the, the lesser lights of blessings, they're there, but, you know, they're not that important. That's not what's guiding you and motivating you. So let's look at the anticipation from your alignment. Verse number seven, you, you just ought to expect this. Not only expect it, claim it, walk in it, protection from the Lord. Verse number seven, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. So Israel's about to go in the land, and, and God's saying, listen, one of the blessings of obedience, when you're, when you're standing under the place of obedience, and my blessing falls there, here's, here's what's going to happen, because you're about to go into a land that's going to be filled with people that hate you, the Canaanites and, and all the various different segments of the occupants of Canaan land, they were going to come after Israel with everything they had. It was a place of war. It was a place of blessing, but it was, they had to fight for those blessings. And so what God says is your enemy is going to come out in a unified, strategized assault against you. They're going to have all of their ducks in a row. They're going to come out. They're going to know that they're going to win. They're going to have all of their armor polished. Their spears are going to be sharpened. Their arrows are going to be well honed and perfectly straight. And they're going to come out against you in a battle formation and an array. And they're going to come out you one way. And God says, oh, they've made a terrible mistake when they've done that. Because you're abiding in the place of blessing. And that's the place of my protection. So as they come out against you one way, just hold on tight because you're going to watch them run away from you seven different ways. They're going to scatter. Let me, let me just can, let me weave some stuff in here for a moment. It's not cocky for the Christian to expect to win his or her battles. It's not cocky. Say, it feels cocky. Well, what's the alternative? You expect to lose them all? You're going to win or you're going to lose. And if you are confident that you're walking in the place of obedience and walking and abiding in the Lord, you should expect to win them. 
By the way, there's nothing like a good uh, opponent coming after you that'll make you do a quick gut check. Oh, am I obedient? Let me get some things straight real quick. I mean, we, we, God will sometimes allow, and by the way, in this passage, the enemies were the ones making the first move. They were coming after them. And so what the Lord was telling them is, when the enemy comes against you, they're going to look like they've got all their ducks in a row. They're coming out one way, but I can almost see the Lord snickering. I hope you don't find that irreverent. I can just see him kind of laughing. Like, they're going to go out seven different ways. They're going to, pew, they're going to take off from you. Um, I've seen this in, in my own life. There have been times where I have been in, on, the, on the precipice of a conflict with a, another believer, and I've heard the Lord say, you don't want to mess with them. I'd be like, yes, I do. I mean, I really, really, no, the Lord said, no, no, I promise you, you don't want to mess with them. Now, I have a hard time ever considering another Christian my enemy, but we're naive to believe that there's not conflict in the body of Christ. How many of you, by the way, know that every person in the church is not a Christian, right? Y'all are being real timid today. You think I'm setting you up for something. Exhale, unclench, just relax. It's family time. The reality is, is that when the enemy couldn't defeat the church, he just started joining it. And so I, I, I've seen at times where I'm, I'm in a battle with a real Christian and God says, no, you, you don't want to fight that one. You just need to lay down your sword. This is one of my children. You don't want to mess with him or her. And so you win by deferring and choosing humility and turning the other cheek. But man, I can tell you, I, I've, I've been pastoring for 20 years in vocational ministry and I have come up against some stinkers. I have come up against unified fronts. I have, I have power brokers in the church. There's not many... And thank God I can preach this right now. And I don't have a single person in this room in mind, and don't get legal with me, nor anybody who happens to be absent today. I don't have anybody in mind. I'm, I, I'm finally in a season where I don't have people gunning for me. But I can tell you this. I remember season after season for eight years where I didn't have a single month go by where I wasn't aware of at least one intense personality in the church coming after me. And I can tell you this. This is to God's glory. I stayed in the place of obedience. I stayed in the place of obedience. I, I, I can tell you I wasn't always courageous. I wasn't always joyful. I wasn't always super spiritual. Because you can obey. You can stay in the place of obedience sometimes, but you're shouting out some carnal stuff from your place of obedience. You know, right? You're like, yeah, I'm obeying, but I can't stand you. And you're a jerk. And the Hebrew for that is jerk. I'm not pointing to anybody over there, by the way. <laughs> but you stay in the place of obedience, and they come at you one way, and they go seven different ways. Some of you need to, need to rehearse this for work. You're dealing with people at work. Yeah, this is, this is I got a little prophetic edge to it right now. I can feel it. Some of you are dealing like right now at work with people that are coming out against you in a unified front, and you're so tempted to fight their fight instead of fighting God's fight. Don't do it. Stay in the place of obedience. Say, well, Jeff, I don't want them getting over on me. Well, in the end, they won't. I would rather them get over on you, get over on you, as long as God gets something in you, than for you to get over on them and have God some, remove something from you. Happens in your family, too. Every single domestic conflict in the home. Um, listen, you, you've got to stay in the place of obedience. You've got to trust God. And though we never want to view our family or our Christian brothers and sisters as enemy, there are times opposition forces that, that collide. And, and the question is this, it's not a win at all cost. 
You can't do that. That's the cutthroat way of an unbelieving world that says win at all costs. No, I'm going to stay in the place of obedience, and God promises that eventually my enemy is going to turn tail. And, and the amazing thing is, is in the context of obeying, God is still highlighting here the enemy's coming after you. And so being faithful, being true, being loyal, being, retaining your allegiance to God does not exempt you from the enemy's activity in battles and personal conflict. A lot of times it invites it. Why, why were the Canaanites coming after Israel? Because Israel was coming to reclaim some territory from them. And, and when you start advancing in obedience in the kingdom of God, you're taking territory that the devil doesn't want to surrender, and so he's going to fight you tooth and nail for it. But if you stay in the place of obedience, you'll not only watch human enemies run. Let me tell you something. I have sensed, I think this will resonate with somebody. There are times where I know I've been in the thick of the furnace, the fire of the furnace, with all of hell coming against me. I don't know if Satan himself has ever come against me, but I know some of his minions have. They've come against me, demonic realm. And there have been seasons where you fast and you pray and then that when, when all of your options are gone, the only thing you're left with is worship and obedience. You're going to worship and you're going to obey. And in that, when everything else is stripped away, and it, it hurts to have it stripped away. And it's frightening when you feel like the enemy's getting closer and closer and God's 20 minutes late. And you don't know what's going to happen, but you're going to worship and you're going to obey. And I have literally been in circumstances and seasons where I felt the, the rush of the enemy leave my presence. And I knew it was over. I knew that God had said, enough to the enemy. And friends, listen, he'll do that. Expect it. Expect protection from the Lord. Second thing, expect power from the Lord. This is what you should anticipate when you're aligned in obedience. Power from the Lord. The Lord will establish you, Israel, as a people holy to himself. As he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So it's not about doctrine. It's actually about walking it out. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. Look at that. And they'll be afraid of you. They'll be afraid of you power. Your power in the kingdom never rises above your obedience. Never. If it appears to, it's counterfeit. Your power is always the threshold, excuse me, your obedience is always the ceiling for your power. It'll never rise above it. So when you're an, you're an obedient Christian, you're going to experience power like disobedient or intermittent, sporadic obedient, sporadically obedient Christians never can. It's this abiding nature. You're abiding in the vine. You're anchored. You're resting. You're contented in him. And as you abide in the vine, the sap comes into you and you burst with vibrancy and life, and nourishment. I think the tendency for us is to go back to that conditional obedience. I've, I've found this, listen, I've found this to be true, especially in the lives of men. Instead of repenting fully of sin, we manage sin. Okay, I think I've got this at a level where it's not really messing everything up. I sense the presence of God. I know I've got this thing, but 
I think it's okay. And we're like Jonah. People talk to me all the time, well, I had a sense of peace. I got a sense of peace about this. And I know they're describing a sinful situation, but I feel God's peace about it. Well, listen, Jonah got into a boat, sailed off in the opposite direction of God's will and had enough peace to take a nap. The Bible says he was asleep in the bottom of the boat. It's not about our peace or how we feel. It's just about, it's literally coming to that place and saying, God, I believe my life is situated as such that I can't do it without your power. And Lord, I'm concerned now that this area of disobedience where I've managed but haven't repented of, Lord, I'm going to repent of that. I turn from it. I ask you for power to release me from it. And Lord, now elevate the power from on high in my life. It will happen. Your enemies will be afraid of you. It goes back, and listen, it goes back to that little testimony I gave. I gave it to my own shame. I never want to be the hero of my own stories. That's why I use myself in kind of a self-deprecating way sometimes. That, that I looked at this individual, and I knew God did not want me to go toe-to-toe with this person. In, in one sense, I could say it was an expression of the reality of this verse. I was afraid of him. In other words, I was afraid of the Lord in him. And so I said, I don't need to fight this one. I need to lose this battle, and I need to trust the Lord with the aftermath. And you, if it's true humility, you'll never regret employing it. I've never regretted employing true humility. And so back to this issue of, of the power of God, let me just ask you, especially those of you that feel beat up, you're living with a victim mindset. Everybody's always against you. You go in and out of self-pity at a regular uh, interval, and you're tired of it. What if you just started anticipating that God was for you and that he has actually empowered you? That You're actually a very powerful person in Jesus Christ. And that's not just wispy theology up there on the cross. That stuff's got to be fleshed out. I mean, we have, we have more theology than we'll do in, we're doing anything with. We know so much more than we live. God is calling this generation to live what they know, even, even at the expense of learning more. I, I don't even think we should be coming up with new, more. Uh, listen, I'm all for Bible study. We're, we're studying the Bible right now. But I really want us to start living what we already know. What, what would happen if you started living what you already know? All right, I just got to go to the next conference. You just went to five, and you're still the same. You just have less money, and you're more tired. You got more miles on your car. You don't need another conference. You need to start appropriating and actualizing what you've already been given. And part of that is power from the Lord. Next to last thing, prosperity from the Lord. Here we go. This will challenge some of you. I like this. I'm going to provoke you. The Lord will command the blessing on you and your barns and all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Down to verses 11 and 12. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open up his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land, mark it down, in its season. Very important. And to bless all the work of your hands, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. I'm just going to speak to your wallet. I'm just going to do it. And I'm actually not going to try to get something out of it. I'm going to tell you, God wants to put something in it. 
Now, I know this doesn't fly in a conservative church, and believe it or not, we're, we're conservative theologically compared to a lot of churches. I know that people are so sick of the abuses of the prosperity gospel. I am sickened with you about that. But don't let the abuse of a doctrine fall into the misuse of a doctrine and then, and then to completely disuse it. And, and, and so I'm sorry that a bunch of people um, took the reality of God's blessing and desire and ability to prosper his children. I'm sorry they took it, manipulated it, it turned it into a false system of worship and religion, lined their pockets with it, and ended up in prison. I'm really sorry about that, but don't indict God over that. Don't indict the Lord over that. Because listen... I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you that are parents are good parents. And if you had unlimited resources and you had children that were wise enough to properly use what you might give them and they showed a history of obeying and using the money you gave them, the resources you gave them for good purposes that were reflected well on the family name, would you sit up there and just say, I don't want to give you anything. I don't want to give you anything. No, it's mine. It's mine. Go get your own. Go make your own. Go do your own thing. No, you wouldn't do that. Well, how much more our Heavenly Father, when He sees... Listen, remember, it's in His heart to bless. I mean, I, I, I don't think me irreverent. He can't help Himself. He loves to bless. He's too good to be self-contained in the sense of His goodness has to give expression to itself. And there is no greater creation, not the animals, not the planets, not the cosmos, not the angels. There is nothing more than he has created that he loves more than his children. And so it's in his heart to bless them. So where is that blessing going to fall? In a place of obedience. And the Lord says, I'm going to let the blessings overtake you. Did you read that? That's some good stuff right there. It's like we have developed a theology of poverty. We have come up with this, well, to, you know, we don't have too much stuff. We don't, too much stuff, that might turn us into, you know, demons. And No, friend, if, if, if it's coming from God, it's coming to you in the place of obedience. It's a blessing from the Lord. You can be trusted with it. All these uh, people, all the haters out there that can't stand for a Christian to, to get blessed get rich, drive a nice car, have a nice house, wear nice clothes. Well, what about the starving? Well, listen, friends, I get that. My thought would be if they're obedient, that involves that they're giving, that they're investing into the kingdom, that they're actually, they're not just saying, you know, remember the movie, The Blob? Yeah. Remember the blob, the early one, the black and white one from the 50s or 60s, and that thing's just moving along and everything it touches, it just, and you become a part of the blob. I kind of feel like that lately, but the, the, the thing moves and it, that, that's not the Christian life. The Christian, we're not talking about going and, and, and becoming just uber materialistic. We're talking about the, the reality that all throughout biblical history, you're going to find it didn't land in every single season at every single time. That's why it's so important you realize that God put that phrase in there, the Holy Spirit inspired in those verses I just read, in its season. There's a harvest season, but there's also a digging in the dirt season and a planting season and a praying for rain season, but there is a harvest season. And I'm going to be very bold with you, my obedient brothers and sisters. Expect a harvest. Don't apologize for it. When he gives you the harvest, there's seed in that harvest that you're supposed to plant again. 
because there's another harvest coming. And you're going to feed people from your harvest. And you're going to take care of people from your harvest. And stop walking around guilty if God's blessed you. And stop trying to hide it. And I hope nobody finds out about it because they're going to think. No, listen, my friends, you don't want to flaunt it. But at the same time, that's not your identity. It's your resources. Your identity is child of God who is, is in need of grace and the blood of Jesus as the most impoverished person in the world. And so we use our resources for good. And that's why God will bless us in our season. And the very last thing. I know I went long today. Nothing new there. Promotion from the Lord. Worship team, come on up, please. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And here we go, verse 14. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or the left to go after other gods to serve them, So the father is saying this. He's saying to Israel, Israel, go into the land. Conquer your enemies because if you obey, you're going to conquer them. Plant your fields because if you obey, I'm going to prosper them. When you go in the city to do commerce, I'm going to prosper that too because you're my obedient child. My, my blessing falls not because of your obedience, but when you obey, you step into where I have predetermined my blessing to fall. That's the picture you need to get. We don't hijack God and say, you've got to bless me because I obeyed. No, what God says is this, I always bless obedience. And so if the disobedient, if, he's, if this is where he's pouring out his blessing, this is the arena of obedience. Well, if you're disobedient, he's not punishing you. You've just cut yourself off from where he's pouring out the blessing. You follow me? It's not that, you know, he's coming over here. He's just letting you do what you do. You, you want to be on your own? He'll let you be on your own. You want to act independently of him? He's going to let you do that for a while. But the problem is, is in doing so, you've stepped away from where he's pouring out his blessing. So to be obedient is not to bargain with God. It's simply by faith you're saying, oh, I want to honor you. I want to trust you. I do honor you. I do trust you. I do love you. Why would I stand here when this is where you want me to be? I'm I'm just going to, by faith, I'm going to step up here. I'm standing in the place of obedience. And God says, you're actually standing in the place of blessing. See, I thought I was standing in the place of obedience, Father. He says, they're they're one and the same. When you stand in the place of obedience, you enter into the place of my blessing. And so you're not going to be the tail anymore. You're going to be the head. Listen, I mean, it's actually vivid. In Hebrew, the word picture is you're looking at two ends of a donkey. You're not going to be this end anymore. You're going to be the end with ears on it. You're going to be the head. You're not going to be going down. I'm going to be lifting you up. See, the Bible tells us that we're not to grow weary in well-doing because in due time, we will reap if we don't faint, if we don't give up, if we don't quit, if we don't, according to these verses, turn to the left hand or the right hand. Don't miss that. That's the last thing I'm going to highlight there. God says, you can actually be in the place of blessing and obedience, but he gives this slight caution. He says, but don't step out. Don't step to the left. Don't step out to the right. Just be obedient. Say, God, perfect obedience? And he said, only one that ever walked on the earth was perfectly obedient. He's my son and You've received him. 
His perfection is on your account. I'm going to let you show me how grateful you are for that by trusting that I'm going to honor your obedience. So when you step out, step right back in because I'm a merciful, gracious, and kind God. Would you stand to your feet this morning? This could be an awkward invitation. It doesn't have to be. Because the guy preaching to you, his co-pastor, and everybody else in this room, we all have need to grow in obedience. And we all want blessing. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to come if you need to. I'm going to invite you maybe to kneel down. And if need be, you and the Lord, one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. You just say, Lord, in this area, I've been disobedient. In this area, Lord, I've been paranoid in my obedience. Lord, I don't want to be paranoid about you. I want to honor you. And so, Lord, I'm choosing to repent. I'm not going to manage this thing in my life anymore. I'm going to turn loose of it. Others of you, conditional obedience, no more. You were made for so much greater than that. Conditional obedience leads to minimized blessing because you're in and out of that place of where he pours it out. His blessing falls on a submitted heart that's honest with himself or herself before God. Submitted, nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. Just, Lord, I love you. I trust you. You're worthy of it. I'm not going to debate with you anymore. I'm not going to reason up here and complicate something that is simply a heart issue. I'm going to surrender. So, Father, in Jesus' name now, send the Holy Spirit in precise power to guide each and every heart. And, Lord, we want your blessing. Let it fall. In Jesus' name, amen.